Uh, let's turn our Bibles to Daniel 11 and just get right in it uh, this morning as we uh, are almost wrapped up with the series. There are 12 chapters, and so after next week, obviously, with the Scatter Sunday, we won't be together here, but we'll wrap up the Daniel, with Dan- the Daniel series with Daniel 12 uh, two Sundays uh, from now. So we're Daniel 11. Uh, this is uh, Daniel's third and final vision in uh, the book of Daniel. Uh, his first vision was chapter seven. His second vision was chapter eight. And then his third vision is chapters uh, 10 and 11. The two major players that we're going to see uh, in today's passage that we've already talked about some in his second vision, chapter eight, um, Two major players that will come back into this third vision, Antiochus Epiphanes. Uh, we'll talk more about him in just a few moments, uh, and the Antichrist. So we'll be talking about that reality again today in uh, chapter 11. If you're with us last week, Daniel uh, chapter 10, uh, God sends an angel uh, to Daniel to strengthen him to receive uh, the revelation concerning uh, what's called the Great War. Uh, and the great war being the, the seven-year tribulation period preceding the second coming of Jesus. Um, it would bring great suffering to uh, people, uh, God's people, the Jews, and great suffering around the world in this seven-year tribulation. So Daniel receives this uh, revelation of this great war, and uh, he has a, basically a panic attack. He goes into this place of great anxiety, and God's angel strengthens him with courage and hope to receive uh, the revelation. Um, The thing that we kind of honed in at the end was the message from the angel that told Daniel, be strong, be strong now. Uh, And just a message for us in these Daniel-like days also that we're living in. If we could think of it this way as we come into Daniel 11, think of Daniel 10 as the kind of the macro of uh, this revelation that God is bringing to Daniel. And Daniel 11 is the micro of the vision. It's kind of like Genesis. I don't know if you knew this or not, but Genesis 1 and 2, uh, really the same story. Genesis 1 is the macro of the story of the creation. And Genesis 2 is the micro, uh, more details of the same story. Uh, That's happening in our passage today. So again, chapter 11 is the micro. Lots and lots and lots of details regarding the times that are leading up to, uh, to the end, the times leading up to the great war or this seven year tribulation period. Uh, Daniel 11, verse 2, uh, it's, it starts this way. And now the angel says to Daniel, and now, and now that I've strengthened you, now I will tell you the truth, the truth of the revelation of what is coming uh, in God's prophetic uh, future. So here's the outline of Daniel 12. Uh, this is where we're going to uh, be today. Uh, basically, the first uh, 35 verses, Daniel 11, 2 to 35, is talking all about like the kings of the north and all of these battles that the kings of the north, Syria, is having with the kings of the south, Egypt. And there's a lot of, a lot of detail in, in these battles. It leads up to uh, this person, Antiochus Epiphanes, that we talked about in chapter 8. Uh, and then 
These prophecies, when they were given to Daniel, we think about this, Daniel, uh, this was all future to Daniel, verses 2 to 35. For Daniel in his life, future for him. For us today, it's past. These are prophecies fulfilled. So as we think about verses 2 to 35, these are all things, prophecies of God that have already been fulfilled uh, in world history. And there's a lot of detail in there that we will kind of fly over. Um, And then it switches, verse 36. You can see in the outline are prophecies about the Antichrist or the seven-year tribulation period. These things were also future to Daniel, and they are future to us. And so a little bit of distinction there I want to make in the outline as we look at this so that we understand where we are in in the timeline. Um, I'm going to overview the first 35 verses, all these stories of kings of the north and the south, and then we'll read together and talk together about verses 36 to 35. I'm going to tell you, um, today's passage, you got to turn your brain on. Uh, we got to we got to think uh, today and process. And so turn your brain on as we talk about these things. Chapter 11 is certainly one of the most complicated parts of, of Daniel. So uh, before we get there, I, th- I think it would be helpful uh, to remind you of uh, just a few things that we talk about in chapter 8. And I want to pull up this picture that we looked at in chapter 8, because I think this will uh, be informative for us as we get into chapter 11. The, the vision of chapter 8 uh, the animals uh, on the screen, as you look at, the animals uh, represent uh, me- the Medo-Persian Empire and the, and the Greek Empire. Uh, Medo-Persia Empire is the ram with two horns, uh, one taller than the other. So in that picture, it's kind of going off the screen, but I think the, uh, the left horn of the, of the ram is longer than the right. This is what that symbolized. The larger horn represented Persia, which came more dominant in that Medo-Persian empire period. And then the, the goat in the picture is the Greek empire. And the goat has a unicorn. And that unicorn represents Alexander the Great. Do you guys remember when we talked about this in chapter 8? Alexander the Great, who ruled from 336 to 323 B.C. And so um, this is where we're going to be today, is really talking about what came after, a lot of detail about what came after Alexander the Great. Here is uh, Daniel 8.8. The goat became very great, Alexander the Great. But at the height of his power, the large horn, that unicorn, was broken off, and in its place, four prominent horns grew up toward the four winds of heaven. Um, It was swift, like Alexander's, um, his movement, his takeover was swift, uh, but he died at a young age. He died at age 32 years old, Uh, and the empire at that time uh, was divided into four of his generals. And so he dies, and that horn goes away, and then four more horns come up. And those four horns were his four generals. Now, specific to chapter 11, here's what is important to know in terms of world history. Specific to the prophecy of Daniel chapter 11, Seleucus was, uh, governed Syria, and Ptolemy governed Egypt. Now, there were two other governors. It split into four, but for our purposes today, I want you understanding uh, these two generals 
that came into power after Alexander the Great. And so in Daniel 11, when it's talking about the northern kingdom, meaning north of Israel, so there's all this language about kings of the north, kings of the south. This is kings north of Palestine, kings south of Palestine. So that's the, the language is in reference point to Israel, okay? Um, the kings of the north is the Syrian empire, and they were known as the Seleucids, named after uh, the original governor of that area, Seleucus, who was uh, one of the primary governors of Alexander the Great. And then the south kingdom, meaning south of Israel, is Egypt. And Egypt was first ruled by Ptolemy, and those people were known as the Ptolemies. Um, you guys with me right now? A little bit of history class to start with, but I think it'll be really helpful for you as we get into our text this morning. So here's the overview of the first 35 chapters. With this in mind, we can keep that slide up for right now. There's so, so much detail of the rise and fall of various leaders in these northern and southern kingdoms and all of the language and all the details of the battles along the way in these verses. And the conflict, if, if you go home and read this later, and I would encourage you to do that, uh, the battles seem never ending, uh, never ending. Um, and Israel is literally right in the middle of all of it. All of those battles, north and south, and all of the movement in those battles, Israel literally in the middle of all of it, both empires vying for control of this strategically located promised land. And then we get to the middle, all these battles are happening, and we get to the middle of chapter 11, specifically verses 20 to 35, and then the revelation from the angel to Daniel zeroes in on this person named Antiochus Epiphanes. And what happens there is he comes uh, from even further north in, um, in, in Greece area and comes down and overtakes the north or the Seleucids. And then his armies go down and they, as the scripture says, swept away the Ptolemies uh, in the southern armies like a flood. And so he just came in and just took over everything from the north down through Jerusalem and all the way down to the south um, was Antiochus Epiphanes. Um, Antiochus hated the Jewish people. Uh, he profaned the temple. You'll remember this from chapter eight in Jerusalem. He erected an altar uh, in the temple in Jerusalem to the Greek, Greek god Zeus. Uh, he sacrificed a pig in the altar in the temple. Um, and this is why Daniel refers to this, this action, sacrificing a pig, which was an unclean animal to the Jewish people, uh, as the abomination that causes desolation. We see that phrase in chapter 8, and we see that phrase in chapter 11. Here's Daniel 11, verse 28. Antiochus Epiphanes shall return to his land with great wealth, but his heart shall be against the holy covenant. In this time when Antiochus Epiphanes was overtaking the north, sweeping down through Jerusalem, overtaking the south, coming back up through Jerusalem, back up to the north, uh, here is what was happening. Many Jewish people were martyred during this time. Uh, Jewish history tells us of 80,000, 80,000 men, women, and children uh, killed in this time in world history. Truly uh, another holocaust was happening under Antiochus Epiphanes. Uh, he was a cruel persecutor of the Jews. And as a commentator that I'm reading in the Daniel series calls Antiochus Epiphanes uh, the diabolical forerunner 
to the Antichrist. When we think about what happened in Daniel 11 and all the persecution and all the martyrdom that was happening, uh, some Bible expositors uh, relate um, language in Hebrews chapter 11. We, uh, we think of Hebrews chapter 11 as the hall of faith, all of these um, men and women of faith and faithfulness to God in chapter uh, 11 in Hebrews 11. And some uh, Bible expositors really believe that uh, this language in Hebrews chapter 11, I'm gonna read um, verses 36 to 38 uh, with you, uh, is referring to the, the Jewish people that were martyred uh, under the rule of Antiochus Epiphanes. We don't know this to be sure, um, but I thought I would just read this to you so that you understand uh, the intensity of that, of that time. Verse 36, Hebrews 11, uh, some faced jeers, and flogging while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, they were destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. This is what was happening under the rule of Antiochus Epiphanes. And what's important, I think, for us in, in studying and reading a biblical prophecy, especially end times prophecy, uh, as we get into uh, chapter 11, it's, uh, it's important for us to consider that all of what Antiochus was doing was actually fulfilling prophecy according to God's timetable. He was fulfilling prophecy that God told Daniel. This is why Daniel was so overwhelmed and so, um, so stricken with anxiety about this great war and this great suffering and all the battles and all the suffering that was leading. This is why he was, he was so anxious because he knew God was revealing to him what was gonna happen to his people. Um, Antiochus fulfilling what God had told Daniel to begin with. Let me... Um, Let's read 30, uh, 31 to 35. This is still prophecy, future to Daniel, past to us about Antiochus Epiphanes. Verse 31 says, his armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice. And then they will set up the abomination that causes desolation when he put an altar to Zeus and he sacrificed a pig on the altar, with flattery, he will corrupt those who have violated the covenant, but the people who know their God will firmly resist him. Those who are wise will instruct many, though for a time they will fall by the sword or be burned or captured or plundered. When they fall, they will receive a little help. Um, if you want to underline that, write this down later. That is specific to uh, Judas Maccabeus. It's known as the Maccabean Revolt. It happened in 167 to 160 BC. And so in this time, Judas Maccabeus, they, they, they rose up and they fought. And so that's the little help that uh, this is referenced to, a fulfillment of prophecy. And many who are not sincere will join them. Some of the wise will stumble so that they may be refined, purified, and made spotless until the time of the end. Important point in verse 35 here, for it will still come at the appointed time. For it will still come, Daniel, at the appointed time. Here's what I want you to grab on there. Um, 
fulfillment of God's prophecy according to God's timetable. Now, after we get past 30, are your brain still on? Y'all with me right now? This is a lot, I know, I know. Verse 35, between verse 35 and 36 is a break in the timeline. It's, it's, there's, there's a gap of time between 35 and 36. As we get into chapter, or verse 36, excuse me, now we're reading about the prophecy, not of Antiochus Epiphanes, but of the Antichrist and the seven-year tribulation. This, what we're about to read, is still future to us. We look back at uh, verses, the first 35 verses of chapter 11 and go, oh, that's, that is fulfilled prophecy, and we can read history and see the fulfillment of these things that, that have occurred, and it, it builds our faith and our trust in the authority of God's word to do so. As we get into 36, this is still for us to believe and know that this is what God is saying will be future for Daniel and for, for us. So let's read uh, the first few verses, uh, Daniel 30, 11, 36 to 39. The king who exalts himself is the subtitle over verse 36 in my Bible, the king who exalts himself, the Antichrist. The king will do as he pleases, verse 36, and he will exalt and magnify himself above every God and will say unheard of things against the God of gods. He will be successful until the time of wrath is completed. Speaking of the seven-year tribulation, for what has been determined, what has been determined must take place. He will show no regard for the gods of his fathers or for the one desired by women. That's a reference actually to, to the Messiah, Jesus, the one desired by women. Um, nor will he regard any God, but will exalt himself. He will exalt himself above them all. And instead of them, he will honor a God, a fortress, a God unknown to his fathers, and he will honor with gold and silver and with precious stones and costly gifts. He will attack the mightiest fortresses with the help of a foreign God, and he will greatly honor those who acknowledge him. And he will make them rulers over many people, and he will distribute the land at a price. Um, verse 36 and 39 in Daniel chapter 11. This is, this is intense. This is great war, great suffering on the earth. Uh, the phrase in that passage, what has been determined must take place until the time of God's just holy wrath is completed. In other words, the duration of the Antichrist rule has been sovereignly predetermined by God himself. And we read these verses and we, we consider what the angel told Daniel, we consider the authority of God's word, and we read this this morning, the Antichrist is truly anti-Christ. He will rise to power. He will be a world dictator in a seven-year tribulation period. He will demand that the world worship him. Just like Nebuchadnezzar demanded the world worship him in Daniel chapter three, the same thing will happen in the seven-year tribulation, he will be self-willed to the core, empowered 
by Satan himself. When Paul is engaging the church in Thessalonica about the coming of the end, 2 Thessalonians 2.9, Paul says that the coming of the lawless one is the activity of Satan. And not only will the Antichrist utter unheard of blasphemies, but he will also exalt himself as deity, as divinity. And those who acknowledge him, those who acknowledge him will be honored with positions and land and wealth, and those who don't will suffer greatly. Let's continue to read to the end of the chapter, verses 40 to 45. At the time of the end, the king of the south will engage him in battle, and the king of the north will storm out against him with chariots and cavalry and a great fleet of ships, and he will invade many countries and sweep through them like a flood, and he will also invade the beautiful land. Speaking of Jerusalem, Israel. Many countries will fall, but Edom, Moab, and the leaders of Ammon will be delivered from his hand, and he will, be, he, he will extend his power over many countries. Egypt will not escape. And he will gain control of the treasures of gold and silver and all the riches of Egypt and the Libyans and the Nubians and into submission. Verse 44, but reports from the east and the north will alarm him and he will set out in a great rage to destroy and annihilate many. He will pitch his royal tents between the seas at the beautiful holy mountain, the Mount of Zion, where the temple resides, between the beautiful seas, certainly the Mediterranean seas, possibly the Sea of Galilee as well. Yet he will come to his end. He will come to his end, and no one will help him. Right? Deep, hard things to process and, and consider for us uh, this morning. What I find in this prophecy about what is still future is that not everyone, not everyone is going to be deceived in the seven-year tribulation period. There are courageous believers who will begin to rise up and go on the offensive. Um, this, includes, this includes Jewish people who in the seven-year tribulation will come to Jesus as Messiah. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 11. A remnant of Jews will come to faith in Jesus as Lord and King in the seven-year tribulation. They will, there'll be other non-believers who will come to faith in Jesus as Messiah during the tribulation period, and they will begin to rise up against the Antichrist, and then he relocates to Zion. And he desires to position himself literally in the place of God reigning from Jerusalem. But as verse 45 says, his time will come to an end. Hear this, only the true Christ reigns on the throne of David in Jerusalem. Hallelujah. His time will come to an end. We've been saying uh, this phrase uh, for the last few weeks 
uh, in this Daniel series, chapter 9, chapter 10, now chapter 11. As Christians, we must learn to hold these things with lament and hope together, that lament and hope are not to be mutually exclusive in our theology and the way we view these prophecies and the way we understand and follow Jesus with these, um, with these prophecies in the scriptures for us to consider. We must learn to hold lament and hope together. Uh, lament and hope in the midst of tribulation, in the midst of our own hardships, our own pain, our own sufferings, our own questions, our own grief, to hold lament and hope just in the reality of the brokenness of our lives. Uh, Jesus said this at the Last Supper, in this world, you will have trouble. Take heart, I have overcome the world. James, the brother of Jesus in James chapter one, told the church, he tells us, uh, consider it joy. So when we read these prophecies of the great tribulation period and all that's coming, uh, consider it joy when you face trials of many kinds because the testing of your faith um, develops perseverance. And perseverance must, must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. We should not be surprised in our lives when we, as followers of Jesus, as disciples of Christ, face trials, tribulation, hardships of many kinds. We should not be surprised. Um, lament, yes, yes. Surprised, no. Uh, lament as we hold uh, joy and hope, an empowered sense of hope so that we can persevere. Lament with joy and hope, yes, hold together, yes, because of Jesus and the hope we have in Jesus. Surprised, no. Lament and hope also as we, because it's future to us, lament and hope as we consider the prophecies in verses 36 to 45 in Daniel 11, as we consider the reality of what the prophecy says, lament with those realities, yes, yes, it will be hardship, it will be extreme suffering, but also hope as we consider the seven-year tribulation as well. The horror, let me, let me just say this clearly, the horror of the seven-year tribulation period cannot be overstated. Um, no passage of Scripture in the Old Testament or the New Testament that gives prophecy to the seven-year tribulation period preceding the second coming of Jesus uh, alleviates the severity of what will happen in that seven-year tribulation period. Here's the hope as we lament those realities coming. We have Jesus in us and through us. Romans 2 says that the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in the sons and daughters of God. That is a powerful spirit living in you. The spirit of the living God lives in the people that believe and follow Jesus. He is with us, the promises of Jesus. He is with us wherever we go. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. We are called to be strong and courageous now, no matter what we face, because we have Jesus, the resurrection the spirit of God in us that raised Jesus from the dead, the promise that nothing separates us from the love of God in Christ. 
So we have hope in this. As we consider the future seven-year tribulation, we have Jesus in us and through us. And also, we know the end of the story. We've been talking about this as well. Like, don't forget that you have been given the end of the story. We know the end of the story is this. The beast will be defeated and destroyed by Jesus Christ at the second coming at the end of the seven-year tribulation. And we will be ushered into the new heaven and the new earth. Glory to God, hallelujah, in our lives. If there is one thing that these kind of biblical prophecies teach us, it is that God is absolutely sovereign and we can rest in his sovereignty. That he rules the universe and that Jesus is Lord over all. This is why a prophecy in Daniel 11 gives us hope and all future generations of God people hope as we consider these things. The prophet Isaiah said this, Isaiah 14, 24, my counsel, the Lord says, shall stand and I will accomplish my purpose. Here's the big question that I have as I consider Uh, these things in the future. Perhaps it's a question that you have. We think about the Antichrist. We think about the seven-year tribulation. Here's the big question. Will Christians go through the seven-year tribulation period? Anybody? You don't have to raise your hand. Anybody asking that question as we think about this? Like, could we just get Kirk Cameron to show up and give us a little help today on this? Any old people in my generation? Some young people are like, Kirk Cameron, what, what? Anyway. Left Behind series, anyone, anyone, anyone in the room, right? Come on, come on, you guys are a tough crowd at night. Um, Will Christians go through the tribulation period? Hear me say this, I sure hope not. I sure hope that there's gonna be a rapture of the church before the seven-year tribulation begins. That would be awesome. But I'm not 100%, I'm not personally, 100% sure on that biblically. Um, Scripture, as I have studied scripture about these things, seems to lend toward that Christians will be taken up with Jesus before the seven-year tribulation period uh, begins. Um, Here are some passages. I'm not going to read all these passages, but here are some passages. If you want to take a picture of the screen or write these down, go back and read these later. Um, Scripture seems to teach, and I I lend that way. I'm just not totally convinced of it, that Christians will be taken up before this great seven-year tribulation begins. I do want to read to you this passage uh, from 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 to 18, which is listed on the screen. Paul says, um, brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or those who pass away on this side of heaven or grieve uh, or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. 
Verse 16, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with the loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together. That phrase caught up together is where we get the word rapture. The word rapture is actually not in the text. But that's where we get that word from is this phrase caught up. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them, speaking of those who have passed away first, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. I hope you feel encouraged by these words from 1 Thessalonians chapter four. Now, if 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, if what we just read speaks about the rapture of the church before the tribulation period, then Christians won't go through the tribulation period. But if this speaks about the, the, the rapture of the church, if this, this reality speaks about the rapture of the church after the tribulation, as some believe, or midway through the tribulation, as other believes, then yes, followers of Jesus may be going through the tribulation period. Now, some Bible scholars, uh, you can read up on this. There's so much out there. Be careful, by the way. Be careful, there's so much out there. As we've talked about in the Daniel series, I, um, I don't get caught up in, in the hysteria, really, of end times prophecy and, and trying to predict things. I just think that's um, not wise. I mean, Jesus himself, it doesn't know the day or the hour. The, the Father will tell him. So I don't wanna get caught up in all the prediction things. But I also know that Jesus talked in Matthew 24 and 25 to be alert and be ready as well, and so I don't wanna swing it to the other side either, okay? And some Bible scholars passionately believe that the scriptures teach a pre-tribulation rapture. And if that happens, uh, then we need to understand the second coming of Jesus and the rapture of the church as two distinct separate events. There will be the rapture of the church at the beginning of the seven year period, that's not the second coming of Jesus. That's not him coming on the white war horse, the language from Revelation 19. Then there will be a seven year tribulation period and people will come to faith in Christ in that time. We just read about that prophecy, the remnant of Israel. And then the second coming of Jesus will happen at the end of the seven year tribulation. And some Bible scholars really passionately believe that other Bible scholars who also love Jesus and follow Jesus. And they look at the same scriptures and they're also scholars and they're all smarter than me. They believe that it's not two different events, but the same event at the end of the seven year tribulation. Um, I lend again toward a pre-tribulation rapture, but I also wanna prepare myself and I also wanna prepare you to go through it if indeed that is God's purpose and plan for us. No matter what, no matter what, no matter what, hear this, we already have comfort, supernatural comfort and hope in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit who resides in us, amen? We already have it.
You have everything you need. Everything you need is yours. No matter what, Jesus is already the victor and we will reign with him forever and ever, even if we must be martyred for our faith. And many faithful Christians have gone through this already. Hebrews chapter 11, what we read already. No matter what, Jesus is king and nothing separates us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. This Two Rivers Church, friends, family, this is our faith, this is our joy, this is our hope as we hold lament, joy, and hope together. This is our empowered hope so that we might persevere together. From the old hymn, from the old hymn first written in 1834, we'll close with this. No matter what happens, pre-tribulation rapture, mid-tribulation rapture, it's all the same event at the end. No matter what, here's what we believe and proclaim. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. Tell me, all other ground sinking sand. Lord, we, we want to stand in hope today. Consider the prophecy and stand in hope and empowered, grace-filled hope to proclaim the goodness of God, to walk with courage and strength in these days and any days that may be forthcoming. Lord, would the sons and daughters of God rise up in faithfulness and hope and joy as we hold lament in our stories and in these days. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.